Hello and welcome to Think Fit Be Fit podcast where we believe that effective exercise comes from a potent mindset. My name is Jennifer Schwartz. I'm the hostess and creator of this podcast network and today I have a wonderful opportunity to share some true insider feedback, knowledge on some of the very fundamental views and perspective on human movement science. And this is all in a part of a huge effort to really help you connect deeper with your exercise. These conversations are meant to be meaningful and change your perspective on how to apply scientific focused efforts into your own fitness process and today is a recap of the first four episodes of fitness for consumption that we uh, published on think fit be fit as a network and so joining me today is dr paul joris and gregory gordon to discuss some of the ideas and what we, you know, found interesting, uh, funny, and just general, you know, insight into the process and sharing this stuff with you guys. It has been my absolute pleasure and honor to help you connect deeper to your exercise so that you can have a ripple effect onto your family, your circle, as to how to be self-led with fitness. For me, that is one of the most important goals of this podcast is to really show you that self-led fitness starts with thinking, mindset, and being intentional about how to go about it. This uh, release is January 13th of the new year, 2021, and by now you may have been thinking about what New Year's means to you, and after 2021, I hope it's that you have a, a more meaningful perspective on what it means to actually be fit, be free of disease, be well enough to... Um, have a strong year because there's a, there was a lot of forces and obstacles that 2020 presented us and health and fitness are huge if not the most important physical assets and overall life assets and I think 21 2020 proved that to uh, a lot of us so as you're thinking about the new year, please check out uh, the, the episode that we published on January 4th with Dr. Lola Caps. It really talks about wellness as a collective and how we can all be a part of something bigger and be cooperative and holistic in our efforts and that we don't have a small task in doing this, but we have... Um, the very important task and the very manageable task of starting with ourselves and being self-led. So that is my plug for previous episodes. I'd also love to hear from you on social media at ThinkFitBeFit podcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you want to hang out with me specifically on Instagram, I'm always posting and always sharing the behind the scenes of what goes on in owning a practice and being a muscle activation techniques specialist and running a business and hosting the podcast and learning and co-authoring. You can find me there at Jennifer underscore Simone underscore Schwartz. You can also join the newsletter and that's a way to dive deeper with us at thinkfitbefitpodcast.com and while you're over there check out our affiliates we have two we have an affiliate page now because we have two affiliate products that I use myself one is ladder sport which is a sports nutrition company that was created by LeBron James and his trainer. And they have these products that are supporting athletes of all types. And it's all about adding in to what a healthy, nutritious diet. So I use their vegan protein and sometimes I use their pre-workout 
There's also a company over on the affiliate page called Ruvi, R-U-V-I, and that is also a nutritious drink made only of fruits and vegetables, and it is just delicious and simple, no sugar added, none, no gunk, uh, just fruits and vegetables, and they are blends. They come with they come with four flavors, and you can order a variety pack to get started over at ruvi.com slash impact your fitness and that's also on the affiliate page at thinkfitbefitpodcast.com in this recap episode the three of us are going to review the first four episodes why we move fitness ecosystem f word part one and two i think it is a perfect place to start if you really need a new perspective on fitness if you're going into this new year with thinking that fitness is a commodity, believing it is something you have to chase and get after, then that is a flag, a yellow flag to say, no, let's try something else. Let's get down to the nitty gritty, the fundamentals of what it means to be fit, why we move. And by doing that, you can add so much value to your process and to your program Even if you already bought a program from a trainer, using this information will just actually make it more intentional and meaningful and therefore more effective. The Think Fit Be Fit process is to take that box of knowledge that is fit pop culture, whatever the influencer and the biohackers taught you, get rid of it. And use information that is founded and based in science so that you can understand your goals, your tolerances, and how to focus on those things to get meaningful results. I am the just the biggest advocate for thinking this way, obviously, and I just hope that you can start using like a platinum model just for you instead of just taking other people's information and just accepting it as truth when it's usually not, right? So anyways, I also included a clip from the F word part two that really showcases how brilliant these guys are. This material has very tangible action steps that you can apply, like I said, to your fitness now. It is also a way to push the conversation to open up about fitness in a non-judgmental approach. And that is such a wonderful place to be with your fitness where you're not judging yourself, you're not grading yourself, and you're not comparing yourself. You're just working by your own rules and with respect to science, your body, and physics. And I guess I could just keep listing all the science that uh, creates changes in the body because of exercise, but I, I don't, I'm not doing that. You guys respect it. I know that because you're here. Thank you so much for being here. I hope to see you on social media, and I really know that you're going to enjoy this episode. It's very fun. And It's always great to hear from you guys and what you've been learning through our platform. Have a great week. And um, what it is like presenting in this way, because, you know, Gigi and PJ, you guys have both, you have very different backgrounds and uh, PJ in particular, a ton of experience in presenting material. So I am very curious about your thoughts on, you know, just what you've learned in that sense. And then of course, um, I want to know how many times Gigi changed his mind. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah. You want want to see all the outtakes? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I'll never forget when, uh, when I was first trying to, you know, a woo Gigi onto this project <laughs> that he goes, you know, I just like never want to write a book. He was like, I can't, I can't imagine being my opinion, being stoned in that moment because mm. I know 
that science and things are evolving and my mind is evolving and my thoughts are and my relationships with exercise and two people and these modalities, it's all changing. And you didn't, you, you the idea of it's set in stone for you is not, yeah. you know, and scary. As, as I've heard on this podcast, sometimes in the same paragraph. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Point taken. Okay. Um, so I, I, well, that's, you know, it's, it's wrestling with the restless mind. I mean, mm. there's, there's a lot of value in that too. I mean, it's, it's been interesting for me as the editor and, and, and working through the dialogue and, and looking at the soundtracks and piecing things together. Uh, there are so many gems in there mm. and I think it's just about corralling them and organizing them and, and having them come out the way you want them to, but you know, yeah. it's, it, I love a challenge. So it's working, it's <laughs> working for me. Yeah. Just uh, the, I think just to uh, remind myself too, and the listeners where this started was really um, my interviews with you two separately and talking to PJ as an educator. And I, I was just so curious about the direction that what was going to change in the fitness industry. And that was, you know, um, adjacent to a book release that was focused on the science of cues. And, and I just thought it was so pertinent that the, that cueing and virtual exercise, like they have to go together. Like we have to educate and I think uh, educate the fitness professionals as well as the consumer. And I was also uh, really curious as to, and I think I was, I, I, I definitely proved my own story because I was looking to prove the story that trainers who were not invested in uh, a client aligned cueing strategy and movement and teaching aligned movement uh, teaching strategy would not do well during COVID. Mm. And I went out of my way to ask people and I, you know, and I, I was, especially after our initial conversations. So that's the origin of this. That's where this all, you know, picked up because, you know, you two have a significant experience with this cueing science. I'll just leave it at that. And here, like, and and hearing it presented on this baby of mine, this podcast was a, a real wake up call for me. I said, "This is the direction." I get it, and I was just very, again, very inspired. So, um, what do you guys have to add to that? Uh, well, I guess I'll go first here. So, yeah, it was just kind of a perfect storm of, you know, COVID started. And obviously, uh, my clinic was shut down by the state uh, March 17th. So between March 17th and when I kind of softly reopened in July, I was home and looking for things to do. And I'm a, you know, I have a curious, active mind. So I'm always working on something. And Jen, you and I have been friends for a long time. And PJ, as I've said several times in this podcast, is the reason I even got into movement science uh, many years ago. And so we've kept up a relationship over the years. So, you know, you and I had spoken about the podcast and at some point we were going to do something on it. And it just so happened that Nick Winkleman, um, who is a student out of, so of all the people that could have because what you're talking about with the cueing is part of like a bigger language we call motor learning. And so of all the people that could have brought some of the motor learning concepts to the commercial audience, Nick Winkleman is a great representative because he comes from one of the best labs in the world, which is um, Gabriella Wolf's lab, which is at UNLV. And they do, uh, you know, just um, among the best research in terms of cueing, feedback. Um, so he happened to write that book. COVID happened. We we're looking for something to do. And we did a podcast that was about some of these motor learning concepts. And then, you know, I ended up getting a little bit of feedback from people within our network and it was nice. And then we kept, 
you were interested enough about it that you want to do some private studying together. And I said, you know who you should really talk to is my mentor, mm -hmm. Dr. Juris. And I didn't know if he would be interested or not because I didn't know, um, you know, if, if he would have the time or, you know, it would be under his pay grade, so to speak. But, I, you know, I, I connected you guys and he was, he was interested and happy to do it. And then PJ, I'll let you take it from there. Well, first of all, an opportunity to pontificate is always welcome. So, <laughs> just below my pay grade, so, <laughs> I'm there. Um, you know, this is it, it's really it's really interesting, and there's so many thoughts that I have in listening to you sort of present this and introduce this. First of all, Jen, you invited me on your show, which I really appreciated, and what I loved most about the conversation that we had, which at the time was about core training. <laughs> was that right. <laughs> you weren't simply trying to rehash the same old information, but your purpose was to challenge convention and to get people to look at it differently. And for me, that's gold. Mm -hmm. So just providing information to people, I mean, anybody can do that, right? I mean, it's not hard. Google is really easy. Google Scholar, if you want to take a step up, is you know just as easy. So getting information out there, is that's an easy thing to do. But to get people to think about that information differently and to start thinking independently on their own, that to me is what education is always about and it, what it's always been for me. And I saw this as the medium to do that. Can we create a narrative? Can we tell stories hmm. that take information that is vital information, but present it in a way that gets people to think differently? And so for me, it's not what new things someone can learn, it's whether they can internalize and process that new thing so that it becomes more useful to them and more empowering to them. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, you know, Nick Winkleman is a really smart guy and Gabrielle Wolf's lab is an amazing lab, but the stuff that they were doing, frankly, it's not new. Just because he came out with a book recently that doesn't mean that this subject matter is new. It's been around for decades. And so what happens is there's this gap between research science and the fitness industry, this latency that people are doing tremendous yeoman's work in the lab. And 20 years later, people hear about it in fitness mm -hmm. and then they start to glom onto it. And you know, people like to think that they're out of the box thinkers, but in reality, they're just jumping from one box into a new box, and then they stay there for a while. So I think what we're trying to do is tear down the foundation of the box and give people an opportunity to think differently about things. And that's why I was so excited about getting involved with this, uh, because I think this was a great opportunity to do that. Mm. Little destruction makes me happy too. Um, um, okay, so I guess I, I let's uh, get our way into the reflections on each episode. Um, so our first, the first episode, why we move. Um, I love the title. Obviously, I loved the content. I loved the um, God. There was a one. Gigi had said was talking about muscle confusion and I thought that that made me laugh like the video like you were talking about infomercials <laughs> right yeah yeah that that made me laugh um and then uh there was another point in there where PJ he said um I, you know I'm not gonna pick up the weight I, I write programs <laughs> and I was like that's right me too I don't do that either and um, so those were kind of my one of so the things that like stuck out to me besides the actual uh, really shifting of the perspective, you know, like a really seismic shift. So what were yours? Uh, PJ, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we needed to have this inaugural episode in which we came out with a statement, sort of this is the statement. This is where we want to take this whole series and position ourselves a little bit differently. To your point, it's not rah, rah, hey, it's cool. How do you run your gym and what do you do in your <laughs> gym? It's, wait, let's look at fitness completely differently because 
it's gotten so polarized. And I think Gigi did a really good job of explaining the polarity of the industry and of uh, how people approach it. And what we wanted to basically say was, you know what, all of that's well and good. And if it motivates you to do something, great. I mean, do something. But let's change the narrative here a little bit. Let's redefine what fitness is, because if we can do that, then we may be able to avoid the traps of falling that we fall into because someone is telling us what we should do or more critically what we shouldn't do. And that's the stuff that bothered me the most is when people come on the air or in, in magazine articles, and I've seen it so often on internet uh, web pages and blogs, never do this and never do this. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. Never, never is not a good word. Never is something that I don't have in my lexicon. And let's explore that a little bit, because if you can look at this in a different way, you'll realize that there's never anything that you should never do. Mm. So I just use never again. But <laughs> um, that's kind of what launched me on that topic. It's let's change the narrative. Let's get people to look at this from a different point of view and see if we can't change their trajectory a little. Um, yeah, for me, what's special about this episode, so anyone that has been listening, I think can tell already that one of Dr. J's gifts is being able to take complex topics and simplify them. And trust me, behind the scenes, he's very labor intensive about doing that. And it's something I've learned from him and something that I, I continue to try to do. So to his earlier point, yeah, when we were talking about doing a podcast, had it like... Between the two of us, we know a lot. We know a lot of fancy words, and we could just pound people into submission with them. And then there's a never-ending black hole of fitness information available. So how do we do something that's actually meaningful and interesting? So for me, um, if you would have asked me six months ago what my definition of fitness was, and Jen, we might have even talked about it on the podcast I did with you. And again, to my point why I wouldn't want to write a book, I probably would have said something like, well, it's like having a specific type of conditioning to be able to perform a specific voluntary movement, something along those lines. And that's okay. But the problem with that definition is that if the task you're trying to accomplish is, and I'm not even saying this as a joke, like a, if you ever watch that show, 600 pound person or whatever it's called, like if all I'm trying to do is sit on a couch and watch TV, then based on my definition, someone that's 600 pounds and literally can't move is fit to do that activity. It's still some sort of voluntary motion. They're keeping their trunk upright watching TV. And on the other end of the spectrum, fitness is always like people always associate it with like ridiculously low body fat. And we both know, Jen, because we're both clinicians that do muscle activation techniques, plenty of people come in the door that look cut and fit and all that, but they're in so much pain, they don't move well. So PJ's ability to redefine fitness as an index of how well we move, to me, that's awesome. And that's, that's new. And that's a really different way of thinking about it. Because to me, that includes everybody because everybody has a baseline and it doesn't really like where you are in terms of body fat and things like that. Of course, there are always going to be some standard measures out there, but in terms of like a meaningful way to really think about fitness, I think that's a much better definition. So mm -hmm. to me, that was what was really special about this episode. Yeah. I just, and I, sorry, go ahead, Jen. Oh, um, I just thought it was just a, such a refreshing way for people to give them a new way to communicate about fitness, uh, the solution oriented directive is something I learned a long time ago, but I didn't really put it into my definition as well. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm very much of the sports world. I've, I've not really ever coached somebody weight loss or, you know, I've always been athletic, uh, aligned in my practice. And, um, I just, you know, I just, I, I thought that was just so refreshing. It's it, the whole thing. Uh, so yeah, go ahead. Well, it, what it did for me in, in thinking of it that way was it created the sense that there was a goal that we were trying to accomplish rather than 
an aesthetic that we needed or someone else's definition, that there is something that's tangible, that's measurable. And that those are themes that are consistent throughout all of our episodes. What are we measuring and why are we measuring it? And what does it tell us? Mm -hmm. And so what it does is it puts things into the context of basically saying fitness is what fitness does. And we need to be able to move in a way that allows us to, ne to navigate and negotiate the world in which we live. And when I asked Gigi the question in the episode, why do we move? And he said, because we have to eat. And yeah, we, we have to be able to sustain life. And on a very simplistic level, that could be as simple as picking up a fork and getting food into your mouth and chewing it. And of course, we need to then expand upon that and look at the variety of movements that we use to solve problems. But ultimately, we're moving to solve problems mm -hmm. that occur on a daily basis. And if we can redefine fitness that way, how well we do that, then we can start to look more critically at the options that we have to improve that fitness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, low, you know, guys, audience, fit fam. <laughs> uh, the thing is, is we're really focused on trying to get you to think outside of not just the box, but these like a lot party lines, I think is a good way to mm -hmm. uh, describe it because absolutely one, one dude over here, he's got one opinion and tactic and and list of things to do. And then this other person over here really wants you to only eat two hours a day and throw rocks around. And those are just thing. Those are usually just things that worked for them. Mm -hmm. And the bigger picture is when you're in my fit, my corner of the fitness world is this individual approach and your environment your tolerances your needs and we are we're here to help you honor that that's that's the big picture um anything else on this episode um i don't know pj anything any anything we missed on that one that you would have liked to have added uh post facto no, you know, I think we I think we did a good job of introducing this topic and at least offering a different point of view on this world that we're living and working in and what we're trying to get folks to do. So no, I think that you know, we've pretty much covered that and it's just, you know, it's now it's a nice segue into the second episode mm -hmm. because this sort of gets into how we do it and you know how we use what we've got in order to accomplish this new definition of fitness and so we were very deliberate about the ecosystem and for me that term came actually from a movie that i had seen and i don't Gigi, I don't remember if that got into the episode or if we I don't think if, it. If I can't not, recall. That no. particular story was like tried to <laughs> that was like pushed into like at least five different podcasts. That that's really that's really terrible, but never made it into any of them. <laughs> we we tried to move that through, but if you'll indulge me just for a second, yeah, it absolutely. was I had seen this movie called The Biggest Little Farm. And oh, you did mention that on I did some mention point. it. Okay. Good. Uh, yeah. So maybe it, on a different episode. Anyways. Please do. I think it was actually something that we did with you. Um, yeah. Oh, we right. Did a, we right, did the launch right, episode. Right. But yeah. in our own I remember episode, my TV did that scary it. thing where it popped up right afterwards. I was, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, no. I remember that specifically. Okay, please. Yes, please continue. <laughs> yeah, so it was this notion that, you know, these people um, from the city, from I think from L.A., uh, just started farming and they didn't really know what was going on and they were going to plant a couple of fruit trees and and call it a day and they hired a specialist who basically said no you don't 
plant a couple of fruit trees, you plant like every fruit tree and you don't have a couple of animals, you have every animal. Mm. And the idea behind it is that one thing or two things don't provide enough solutions for all of the problems that occur in an ecosystem. And the idea of an ecosystem is that every species, whether predator or prey or invasive or not, they all have a role and they all contribute to the overall health of the system. And what Gigi and I were thinking about going into this episode was, that's not what people do. People say there's a way to do it. Here's how you do it. You do this, you don't do that. Or here, stay away from these things. And again, it, you know, this, this, this is the stuff that rattles in my brain. Why are people telling us not to do things? Because their opinion is they're no good. Mm-hmm. And so the idea with this episode was to say, you know what, everything is good, but everything is bad. It all depends on how you're using it and why you're using it. But don't throw things away because some guru is telling you it's no good. Mm-hmm. Everything can be good and everything should be part of your toolbox and your repertoire. And that means everything because if fitness is how well we move and we only do certain things, then we're only going to move well based on those certain things. So let's move as well as we can in every context that we can, and that will make us more fit. Mm. Mm -hmm. You want to kind of weigh in on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, and PJ as well during the time when you were working in a clinic. So, all of us, the three of us here have all worked with clients and, you know, I hate being the exercise police. So when I first started my career, I was very rigid about like someone would come in for treatment and I'd be like, well, don't do this and don't do that. And, and so I always, in the back of my mind though, I always hated being the exercise police. And then like anything, you know, you grow more comfortable in your skill set and you open your mind up to things. And, but what I love about the fitness ecosystem is that it's inclusive of everything. And so that term in and of itself implies that like, just like PJ said, it includes everything. And what we spoke a lot about in this episode is this idea of substrates, these things that you develop. So like you don't exercise, you know, for no purpose, you exercise because you're trying to develop these things like muscle size and muscle strength and rate of tension development and things like that. So when you're, and I think we bring up this analogy in the episode, but what an entire ecosystem to you, to me, that's also analogous to just in a humongous toolbox and you use whatever tool mm. is going to help you uh, acquire whatever substrate, whatever goal you're trying to achieve. And so I'm much more comfortable being on the side of being inclusive, inclusive of everything, but, you know, looking understanding how to evaluate that tool for what you're trying to accomplish. I had, I I had a really great time with this one. First of all, as the uh, social media manager, whatever. (laughs) um, Maven. Yeah. The, the, uh, the fitness ecosystem, like the definitions from the glossary that we, I had designed little videos with substrates and fit fitness ecosystem are the most popular pieces of social media on that little account with a hundred plus post. So I think it did resonate with people that, uh, the, that you didn't work, use like a word that was, I want to say machismo, like, ecosystem is is such a is it's it can be it's a such a beautiful analogy well it's holistic in the sort of proper sense of the word what it includes the whole the everything like literally Mm -hmm. everything is is everything is game um Mm -hmm. and it's included and again it's just when and why and how yeah I, so I was so my, so my response to that episode was I literally did a solo podcast all about how to use the glossary. 
really and how important I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I thought pointers. it was so important. <laughs> and I just, there's very few of these episodes where I just set the microphone up and I go. And I was very focused on helping people think because that is just one of the things I could read about and learn about are mental models, philosophy, thinking. Like this is, this is, this is my catnip. So well, I took that opportunity and I just, I went with it for a solo cast and haven't revisited it. I don't know how many downloads there are. I don't care. I got it off my chest. So <laughs> EJ, we should take a second, just talk about the idea of the glossary and why yes. we did it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, there are a lot of words that we use like substrate and substrates mm-hmm. um, come from human movement science. That term comes from human movement science. And what it really means is a prerequisite capability. That's what a substrate is. It's a prerequisite. It's something that you have to have inherently. You have to possess it in order to be able to perform certain tasks. So Gigi mentioned rate of tension development or muscle mass or strength, or it could be any number of things. What do you need to do in order to pick up an object from the floor? What are the Mm. physical things that you need to do? What are the cognitive, right? What do you need to understand about it? So this notion of substrates is really this notion of prerequisites. And so we talk about these things in the episode and we realize that, well, you know, we may talk about it, but people may need to see it. They They hear it from us, but maybe we need to provide that definition for them And so as we were going through these episodes, we were just writing down these terms that we use that people need to have in their thesaurus or Mm -hmm. in their glossary. Mm -hmm. And so we started to put the glossary of terms together. And I think, you know, it'll stick. I'm glad that you liked it. And I hope our listeners like Mm -hmm. having it too. It'll always show up in the show notes. Uh, so that they can refer to these things if they ever get stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, being objective, it just it's just one of the foundations for starting that process. Like, I, I just think you, you need, otherwise you're just stuck in a story of what you think something is. And there's there's no fitness police. I mean, there's, you know, not like Gigi was talking about, but... There's no, um, there's no marketing police for the fitness industry. And I guess, I don't know, that's a whole different conversation, but it's, it's to me, I think it's just a great starting point. Yeah. One thing I just want to mention quick on that is that, you know, I listen to podcasts all over the place and sometimes I'm sort of like scouting them because they're the competition and I'm just like, well, what are they doing? How are they doing it? Um, And there are definitely some that I feel like go out of their way to use vocabulary that I'm not sure they even understand, but they're trying to, look, there's a certain marketing perspective that like, if you sound like the smartest person in the room, that's not a bad position to be in, depending on, you know, maybe you're trying to sell training or products or whatever. So, but there are definitely podcasts I've listened to where I felt like, the narrators are going out of their way to use like a $50 word just to sound, just to come off a certain way. To, um, and, you know, again, something that I learned from PJ and we work really hard at, like, we're not trying to talk above people. We're not trying to bash them over the head with like, you know, mentioning every single paper we've ever read. We're trying to like take <laughs> these concepts that we both find really fascinating and simplify them and bring people along with us. So to me, the glossary is so important because again, look, I'm not some of these things um, and some of the episodes you haven't heard yet, like it gets, it gets a little hairy. Like we're talking about complex subjects. There are times where like you just have to use the vocabulary of that given topic to get through the conversation. Um, so we want to be able to have these conversations with the audience and with the world at large. And using the glossary to me is the way of just bringing people along. So yeah, look, if you if you can hang in there, there's at most there's usually a handful of words that you may have never heard before. And that's really what the glossary is for. So you can listen to it. You're like, oh, okay, that's what that means. And then you can come along for the ride as opposed to, you know, just feeling lost. Mm. Yeah, I think also 
once people see the terms and they read the definitions, maybe it will also motivate them to do some exploration on their own. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they see an idea, they see a concept and they can, I'm going to go continue to research this. I want to go look up more about this because this sounds like something interesting to me. And and that to me is the beauty of what we do. It's again, to get people to think more independently, but to push people a little, motivate them to mm. take on some of these things themselves and not just wait for our next episode, which I want everybody to do mm-hmm. with bated breath. Can't mm-hmm. wait for the new one, but yeah, Shameless go plug. out and mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, <laughs> you know, I have to do it too, but go out and, and search for something and take one of these terms and go see what you can find and, and learn more about it. And then chat with us, communicate, say, Hey, you know, I did some, I spent some time looking at this and I discovered this. Can we talk about it? And that would be delightful. I would love for that. Yeah. I'm looking yeah, at Let the me list just here. make one yeah. other point mm-hmm. before we leave this episode, because something that we wanted to really get across to folks was that we're talking when, when people are getting fit as their level of fitness is changing, mm-hmm. what they're really doing is adapting. Mm-hmm. So it's all about adaptation. And what we wanted people to understand is that adaptation occurs in so many different ways in so many different places within the human organism that sometimes we lose sight of it. There's mitochondrial adaptation, intracellular adaptation. There's uh, soft tissue and, and connective tissue and bone adaptation. All of these things are adaptations and they are all necessary for change. And so sometimes we get so caught up in doing things that we do in everyday life, which is what led us into the next episode, um, that they stop thinking of the fact that sometimes what we really need to do is push adaptation. And that can be as simple as riding a bike or getting, you know, doing a simple exercise to improve joint strength, isolated (laughs) joint strength. There's isolation is another nasty word, but you know, that's what this was really getting people to understand is we're trying to promote adaptation and that can be achieved so many different ways that let's not get locked into a specific methodology or modality because we like it, because that's going to limit how we adapt in other ways. So let's try to be as adaptable as possible. And that was really what I think we were trying to get across there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I love I love that you encourage people to be curious and do some work. And I love that this episode um, encouraged like the, the tangibility of what all this stuff is, you know, that it is, you know, it's all, it's all important. Now it's time to share a clip and some reflections on the F word, part one and two. I included a clip that is at the end of the F word, part two, that really shares the the practical tips on how to apply this information. And I thought it was funny because our commentary is just more focused on the binary way that the FMS and functional training has split so many people in the fitness industry. Anyways, it's just a funny uh, bit to be a part of. And here's the clip from the November 18th episode, F Word Part 2. That, you know, we just have to consider that there, there can be costs to a specific thing that we're trying to do to achieve an outcome and just to be aware of them. And that most of the time there's ways of modifying and planning appropriately to where, you know, you can do, you can have short-term goals in the scope of a long-term longevity-focused approach. So it sort of speaks to the notion of progression, right? It, and planning for change over time. And and I agree, look, if you're working with a professional athlete and they are subjecting themselves to very strenuous, challenging conditions, then your short-term training goal has to be to help them to mm-hmm. deal with that, right? If 
you're dealing with just someone who wants to maintain their health and fitness, pushing someone to an extreme like that is not necessarily going to benefit them. So let's weigh what we're doing with whom we're doing it and understand that there's a balance of things that need to occur. So periodization, planning mesocycles, right? Putting it into an overall program rather than saying, hey, you know what? We're just going to jump right into this from the beginning. I'm going to throw the whole kitchen sink at somebody because that's what we do. And then I would ask, well, if you do that, then what's next? <laughs> like right. if, if you exhaust your entire repertoire in the first four weeks, then what do you do? Like, where do you right. go from there? Right. There's a running joke, by the way, in fitness. So, you know, what is the worst day of a client's life? It's the day after their trainer comes back from a workshop. <laughs> God, that's so true. <laughs> because oh, they're going to do all that stuff whether I'm they need it or that. not. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. We, we were all guilty of that at some yeah. point. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's plan something that is wise and careful and developmental. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, look, you can start like what I like to do is I like to put in I like to create a plan that runs on six to 12 week cycles. And in the first cycle, we just work on strength and mobility and range of motion. So just basic strength, mobility, mm -hmm. stability, and get people to where they need to be so that they can start to do more challenging things. And then mm -hmm. I like to get into after that, maybe we start working on velocity mm -hmm. and power and things mm -hmm. like that. And then what I like to wrap around that, or what I call the functional activities, let's come up with some things that challenge complexity. We create things that are more complex, a little bit less stable, a little bit more challenging, multitasking. We need to do that judiciously, not necessarily just throw it in because that's what we want to do. But it sounded like you just said only that third segment is the functional segment. And, you know, we've been talking this whole time about basically it's it's because starting from segment one, just building those basic substrates of strength is still, you know, a major component of the functional outcome. Yeah. I mean, part one was really kind of poking people in the eye and part two was <laughs> all right now that we put our finger in your eye let's take it out and tell you how we might handle this yeah so, i like the poking uh so let's because, back up a second and yeah. just make sure that we introduce <laughs> which episode we're talking about and that would be the f word part one and part two here yeah which to me is if anyone is ever interested in and jen you made a comment before about how even in fitness, it's almost like there's political camps where people have really extreme polarized views on the way you should or should not do something. And if you want to, if you ever want to see where this is most apparent, it's going to be in this topic. And this is the kind of topic that if you go to like a fitness convention and you're having drinks afterward, this is the stuff that whatever side of the camp you're on, this is the stuff that trainers talk about. So yeah. this oh, is God. an episode... PJ and I had been batting around for a long time and trying to figure out, and by the way, the F word for anyone that hasn't listened to the episode, <laughs> that stands for functional. So functional Which exercise. is still a four letter word. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when, if we're to, like, if you put me in that scenario at a, this, like some type of fitness conference or class, mm -hmm. I, if I hear certain phrases and certain terms around functional training, I make very quick judgments about that person. I promise I do. And I also promise that I was so excited for this because I have grievances against the functional movement screen <laughs> and have for a very long, very long, for a long time. Um, again, being in the strength and conditioning world, working inside training for NFL combine and MLS combine. I have been wanting, I, I just wanted to hear all of this. And I was, I also am a huge fan of the leg extension machine. <laughs> so all of these things are um, targets of this 
camp. So I'm, I'm just saying I'm biased. I'm in a camp that I just, I can't stand those, the people, I, I can't stand the FMS and <laughs> I love the leg extension machine. So I, I just have to go. You guys take it from here. Yeah. PJ, why don't you provide <laughs> your to, uh... Well, you'll, you'll get no pushback from me on FMS. I mean, we talk about functional and dysfunctional and um, the, the whole definition of dysfunctional is completely distorted and, and, misgiven and erroneous except when it comes to the fms that's pretty dysfunctional <laughs> um so um, yeah so no i'm not a fan of it either i mean i think it was like somebody's dream and it was a big marketing play and mm -hmm. and it's a hoax i mean it really is it's it's not it doesn't do anything that i can see um there's no research to back it up but to to step back from the precipice um, what, what this is really about is people to Gigi's point, this is where polarization really took hold. And this is where these camps of people were dictating mm -hmm. how we approach training. This demonizing, is demonizing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is organizations, fitness organizations, health clubs, removing equipment from their mm -hmm. facilities and redesigning spaces to be more quote unquote functional, but not ever considering whether actual functional outcomes were occurring. Mm -hmm. And it just got to the point where I was so sick of listening to this. And by the way, I was part of the whole movement to push it into the mainstream. I was out lecturing about this stuff in the mid nineties when this was really starting to take root. And people will tell you the folks who attended my lectures, they, they heard me talking about functional and functional and that we shouldn't be worried so much about how we looked, but about how we function, but never in my wildest imagination that I think it would go to the extent that it is gone. Mm. and has taken on the form that it has taken, it's almost become a religion. Mm -hmm. And everyone who disagrees with them is damned to go to hell. And it's, <laughs> it's scary. It really is scary because they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so something uh, that's important to me about this episode is, yeah, we could have easily gone between the two of us, gone four hours on just our opinion and about like what the other side is saying. And But um, importantly, again, uh, like I mentioned before, one thing PJ does really well is taking these complex concepts and simplifying them. And he had a phrase where he said, look, function is an outcome. It's mm. not a process. And at first I, I had to ask, so what do you mean by that exactly? And so what he meant was that function means that if you do something and then that helps you get better at whatever skill you're trying to get at, that's functional. Now, in the episode, we talk a little bit about like, okay, does that mean like anything you do? Because if you look at professional athletes, they do a lot of stuff that I think is high risk, but they're out obviously performing at a really high level. So someone could say, look, no, that's functional because they're performing at a high, a high level. So it's a fair argument. Um, but again, just thinking about it in that context, in that perspective, that the, the function is the outcome. It's the, what people tend to be focused on is this process of all these exercises that tend to mimic a certain type, whether it's like a free throw or a hockey swing or a golf swing that, the world that's really devoted to this type of exercise, they're, they're focused on the process of creating these exercises that tend to mimic a certain athletic movement. But like, if you look at that and how that actually helps someone achieve an outcome, the data just isn't there. Hmm. Well, that's the, you know, that that's what it really comes down to. And I tell this story in the episode of when I was with the Dallas Mavericks and they had this free throw shooting coach come in and he was trying to figure out how to get the players to shoot better free throws. And he wasn't even looking at whether they made their shots. I was thinking, wait a minute, 
doesn't it come down to whether the ball went in the basket? I mean, when, when you're at the free throw line, the only thing that matters is, did it go in? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how it got there. It just means that you have to get it in. So you can like turn around and stick your butt out and bounce it off your butt. And if it goes in the basket repeatedly, consistently, then what you're doing is functional. So functional is not about whether you're replicating some movement. Function is about whether you're achieving the goal of that movement on a consistent basis. Mm. And there are a lot of things that go into that. Endurance can affect that. So if all I do is endurance training to improve my capacity to continue this movement over and over and over again, not the quality of the movement, but just the ability to reproduce it consistently over time, then that's functional, right? So one of the things we didn't really get into, I don't think was talking about why leg extensions are actually functional. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about it is you have to look at what the vasti do when you're, let's say, running. The vasti are responsible for decelerating the knee, hmm. right? So when you initial contact in the gait cycle, your foot hits the ground, then you transfer your weight onto your foot and your knee starts to bend. That's the shock absorption component. And it also allows you to transfer your center of mass forward so that you can perpetuate this movement. So it allows you to move efficiently over your base. But once the knee starts bending, if you don't stop it from bending, you're going to continue to bend your knee until you crash into the ground. So Mm. part of the process is you have to decelerate knee flexion. And that occurs over a very short range of motion. It's Mm. only about 15 to 18 degrees range of motion. And if your knee joint is rotating at 8,000 degrees per second. (laughs) Say that again. Yeah, 8,000 degrees per second. Yeah. So, you know, you've got a tremendous job (laughs) that those vasti are responsible for doing. So if you can strengthen them, then you're Mm going to improve your gait. Mm -hmm. So leg extensions become tremendously functional if they improve the efficiency of your gait. And we could take anything, any movement, and talk about some highly specific, highly isolative type of exercise construct and explain how that can improve the function of that task. So it's people get so caught up in whether they're replicating movement mm-hmm. that they, they lose the forest through the trees. <laughs> the goal is the goal. Mm. Get out of a chair, lift an object off the ground, push something, pull something you know, throw a ball, whatever it may be, that's the objective. And the degree to which we're functional is really measured by how well we achieve that objective. Mm. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think it, um, a lot of this came out, a lot of this uh, narrative kind of like pinning the leg extension machines and any machine as like an enemy I think it, you know, part of it is rooted in uh, people, trainers being insecure about their lack of knowledge. And, you know, if my client is giving me pushback about like a program that I write and they are sit- sitting on a machine, you know, I, I I have a whole speech that I give them, but, you know, at the end of the day, muscles are just, they just really respond to this, you know, this type of strengthening in, and to me, um, without having that mechanical knowledge, without understanding a little bit about joint mechanics, I wouldn't be able to give that speech and be able to give them this, like the motivation and the story that they need to complete this in a, I don't know. I, I want to, you know, give them a level of satisfaction when they're doing their exercise. So I don't know. So I think it's a really, both of these episodes are so important because I think knowing what makes an exercise, a whole program functional is important and back to substrates, right? Back to um, understanding training the substrates versus just like talking about them and wishing for them. And 
I, I just think these episodes are really important. What else did you all want to pin on these two? Well, I think you just, points? Jen, you just hit on something that's really important. And um, it is a, it's a sort of a common theme of, of, among a few episodes we have, which is that it, the gym is a great, or, you know, whatever your fitness, uh, where, wherever you conduct your exercise, um, in a controlled setting, that's a that's a great place to work on developing these substrates. And then, um, if you're if, for example, you are a golfer and you're trying to become a better golfer, so in the gym, like what is a golf swing? A golf swing is made. The ingredients of a golf swing are all these different joint movements. So you need to be able to rotate your hips. You need to be able to rotate your spine. You need to be able to flex your shoulders. And you need to do this very rapidly, by the way, if you're like hitting the ball off a tee. So in the gym, you can isolate and train these different motions. You can train the the rate of tension development for your hips. You can train the rate of tension development for your trunk. And then when you go out to the golf swing, you can hire a golf instructor to help you develop um, mm. a swing. But what you don't need to do, what, again, the, the Greek chorus of people that really believe in this very specific type of functional training, meaning that it has to replicate emotion, is that they think that in the gym, that if you're doing anything other than like mimicking the golf swing and at, attaching some load to it, um, you're wasting your time. And that's just simply not true. And that's something that I think we got across pretty well in that episode, but really important, I think, for people to understand. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and conversely, so there, there's this other train of thought that we have these measures that tell us about how other people, how, how people function. And, you know, you, you said the FMS and you know, the principal measure in the FMS is like the overhead squat and everybody uses the overhead squat now, which is really funny. So I've seen these tablet-based or tech-based movement analysis tools that all use the overhead squat as the primary assessment. And when you look in the literature and you look in the research, the overhead squat doesn't really correlate with anything. And so it doesn't correlate with dynamic motion. It doesn't tell you how well somebody's going to jump or sprint or cut or change direction. Those are functions that I can measure. You want to know how someone's functioning, have them do a 5-10-5 agility, right? A T-test, right? Or have them do, you know, a yo-yo repeat sprint test or whatever it is you want to measure. And when you take those measures and compare it to changes in the overhead squat, they don't correlate. Mm. So a change in one doesn't necessarily indicate that a similar change is occurring somewhere else, which means it's not telling you anything about anybody's function. The only thing that that thing tells you is how well they do that thing, but it doesn't say that they're going to be able to do something else better. Mm. And so people start to look at some of these things and say, well, this is what I'm using as my measure of function but it's not a measure of function. It's a measure of nothing. And we, we get caught up in these things that it's, it's kind of mind blowing. And after a while, I just listened to it and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. go ahead. I mean, keep doing it. Uh, I'm, you're not going to get results. And if you don't care about getting results, I guess you're going down the right path. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I definitely, Oh, you guys just listen to the episode because there's just so much more to talk about with that stuff. Okay, guys, stay tuned for part two of this episode. In the meantime, get over to thinkfitbefitpodcast.com to check out all nine episodes of Fitness for Consumption. If you are a trainer, I would actually be sending these to your clients because they could also connect deeper to their exercise through your instruction so you can bring them a rich more rich experience with a better understanding of why uh, fitness is so important in this day and age and you can also sign up for the newsletter at thinkfitbefitpodcast.com or check out our socials thinkfitbefit 
underscore podcast on Facebook and Instagram. As always, thank you for the five-star rating on iTunes. Amazing. We keep getting more ratings, but we are definitely lacking the reviews. We have tens of thousands of downloads and only 14 reviews. I know that this podcast series can help so many people. So head on over to iTunes, let us know what you are learning, or just say, hey, I love what Jen and the guys are doing. And that could be your review. (laughs) Um, And I would love to read it on air and share what uh, you guys find so fun and enlightening or maybe something that bothers you that pushed you to think differently and seek truth anyways thanks so much for hanging out and I will look forward to hearing from you and have a great week